In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Nathan Resnick about how to increase your production margins by 30%. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 59. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulesky, and I'm here today with Nathan Resnick. Nathan is the CEO of Sourceify. They help e-commerce retailers source their products. I've asked them on the show today to talk about how you can use companies like Sourceify to help decrease your production costs. So hey, Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Awesome to have you on the show. It's a- uh, Yeah, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, this is a super interesting topic. I think a lot of people are uh, getting into the whole sourcing and kind of learning how to actually do this. Um, so. Super interested to kind of ask you some questions, but first, what exactly is Sourceify? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, totally. So we basically, you know, our goal is to enable companies to increase their production margins by 10 to 50%. We do that through our software that enables them to better manage production as well as connect them to thousands of pre-vetted factories across Asia. So we run production in, you know, India, China, Vietnam, Thailand, Bangladesh, Pakistan, the Philippines, Mexico, you name it, um, and produce across 300 product categories. So would this be for retailers that are currently producing a product somewhere and they just want to get better margins? Or is this for um, somebody who decided, hey, I just want to, you know, right now I'm drop shipping or I'm doing some sort of arbitrage, but I want to get into sourcing. Like, who are you kind um, of gearing this towards? Yeah, it's, uh, most of our customers that we work with, companies that we work with, are doing five to $100 million in revenue. So typically the mid-market our goal is to increase their margin. Um, and, you know, we do work with some high growth e-commerce companies and retail groups, but primarily it is the, um, you know, mid-market and typically they're working with us to increase their margin or extend their product lines. So they're already sourcing somewhere, but your goal is to just help them source better, essentially, or cheaper or some, you know. Yeah, I mean, really kind of the, the kind of bread and butter is that, you know, 90% of companies are managing their supply chain over email and Excel spreadsheets. So we have software that enables their operations team to you know, get off email and Excel and actually use software to better manage production across um, all their factories. Okay. So when you say manage production, you're talking about like, is it more predictable, like reordering with POs or like what sort of, what sort of things can actually help manage that? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, across the board. So it's handling the request for quotes. It's, um, you know, that whole process is the sampling, it's production, um, it's the finances, it's, it's, you know, basically an all in one suit that enables them to, you know, get off whatever they're handling, uh, you know, managing production with in Excel and email. Um, because, you know, in my, you know, before Sourceify, I was running a few e-commerce companies and the whole reason I came across this problem is, you know, to go through production, we were sending 50 to hundred emails and just some crazy long threads and realized that there, you know, had to be a way to better manage production. So started Sourceify uh, about two years ago, and we've, you know, since become the fastest growing B2B manufacturing platform that, you know, really enables these companies to streamline and better manage overseas production. Okay. All right. So what are, what are some ways when, let's say you're producing now, what are some ways that can actually start enabling you to get better costs? Um, like what are some things a retail listing could do? 
Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I would say if they're working with, you know, trading companies or agents or wholesalers, you know, you always want to go direct to factory, especially at scale. So that's really kind of the first analysis that we do. Secondly is understanding, you know, where they're manufacturing. Right now, China has actually become one of the more expensive areas of the world to produce products. And so a lot of times we're diversifying uh, production outside of China into, you know, India, Vietnam, Thailand, Pakistan, the Philippines, um, you name it. Um, and so really, you know, diversification is another, you know, big kind of step that we make. And then, you know, number two is just actually from their team standpoint, you know, really making sure that they have the right tools in place, which, you know, is why we developed our software to enable them to, you know, have complete oversight and control of production and understand what's you know going on each step of the way. So when you say agents, there are, I, from the way I understand, it, there's a lot of folks that are working with some sort of third party agent, not directly with the factory, but they're not even like fully aware, like the relationship between the agent and the factory, right? Right. How right. Would... No, exactly. And sometimes, you know, these agents aren't transparent at all. Yeah. So sometimes these agents are acting as the middleman, you know, they aren't giving the exact factory price, they aren't giving you the factory information. And, you know, if you find yourself in that place, you, know, you definitely need to make a transition. But, you know, even a lot of times agents are, you know, basically acting as your boots on the ground floor. Um, but sometimes they're even working with trading companies or wholesalers or agents as well. And so there's really kind of this crazy middleman dynamic that a lot of time has happened in the supply chain. And so I think there's, you know, a lot of room to, uh, you know, improve production margins across the board. And sometimes it just comes down to having a local go out there and negotiate for you. Um, and so that's really what our team does is we have an office in Guangzhou, we have an office in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, and have, you know, a small office in India as well, and basically enable companies to, you know, work with, with locals, you know, on behalf of, you know, their organization, we go in and work with these factories to better manage production, get them the best price, and, you know, obviously make sure they're producing high quality products. Okay, because I've heard... I've heard stories of agents representing themselves um, as the factory. Like you think you're talking to the factory, but you're really just talking to like a guy that goes to the factory and talks to the factory. Um, and you think you're getting the factory price, like you said, but you're really getting this guy's price who is essentially just like like a non-transparent middleman. Um, right. Is that something you guys see a lot? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of times, especially on big open marketplaces like Alibaba or Global Sources, you know, what typically happens and the reason why about 70% of those companies are agents or trading companies or wholesalers is that the sales reps at Alibaba and Global Sources, they're incentivized to get as many accounts signed up as possible. And so they don't care if the you know, company that they're selling the account to is a legit factory, if it's a trading company, if it's an agent, they just want to make the sale because that's how, you know, they make the most commission. And so really, you know, if you look at the setup of these marketplaces that charge the supply side of the table, that's, you know, really why you're going to find a lot of um, bad suppliers on there. It's just the incentives aren't aligned with the buyers. So when you see the product, this exact same product with the same photos listed a hundred times, you should be a little suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. And, and I mean, I think too, you know, one of the ways that, that, you know, you can look right off the bat is if it's a supplier on Alibaba or even at a trade show like, you know, the Canton Fair or, um, you know, Magic Sourcing in Las Vegas, you know, if you go into a booth or go on a company, you know, factory's website, and if they have, you know, products that are stemming from, you know, different raw materials, chances are they aren't a factory. You know, most factories are going to focus on specific raw materials in production. And so that's kind of one of the key dynamics to look at when you're uh, manufacturing products is understanding, you know, okay, is this really 
a factory and to do that you've got to understand well what raw materials are they typically handle handling going into production okay because you said i want to make sure we got that one more time so that's so instead of an agent would be focusing on a particular product but the factory themselves are focusing on a particular raw material is that uh no i mean like basically these factories they might say hey we produce hats and we produce sunglasses but you know probably in their in their own factory they're only producing either hats or sunglasses or neither they aren't going to be a factory that's producing both hats and sunglasses because the raw materials to produce those products are so different okay so if they're producing hats they might also be producing gloves or something but you know, it's not going to be, they're not going to have a textile, a plastic, electronics, like all in one factory. It's going to be very siloed. So if you see someone selling both, most likely there's something a little, there might be an agent basically just kind of pulling from different sources. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. And then the other thing you said is China's getting more expensive to produce though, right? Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing. If you look at your unit cost and typically your main unit cost is going to be labor outside of your raw material, you know, that's going to be uh, in China more expensive because right now the labor rates in China are just much higher than, you know, India or the, or Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam is probably about a third uh, more affordable than China in terms of labor rates right now. And, you know, though some people will say, oh, the labor's not as skilled at the same time. I mean, you can always spend time to train the staff. And that's what a lot of these factories there that are really growing pretty fast with their exports are focusing on. How do you, speaking of that, how do you actually guarantee that level of quality? Um, is like being there and like touching and feeling the physical product the only the only way or is this some other you know or just getting samples sent to you like what is what are some of the better ways of actually seeing the product and understanding like this is you know this when i ramp up to a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand units they're going to all look the same like this yeah definitely i mean you've got to put the right quality control metrics in place and i think that's one of the more challenging parts of producing products overseas um you know typically you're always going to want to do a qc check before shipment um you know even if you've worked with this factory a few different times, I mean, a lot of times you just want to have your checks and balances in place because you don't want to get a container of product that you can't sell. I mean, that's just going to go in the dump or you know have to be liquidated. And so, you know, having the right quality control metrics in place is definitely a key. And, you know, besides that, you know, having quality checks along the way as each piece of the product is being produced. So, you know, if it's a watch, for example, maybe you check on the watch case um, before the watch case is assembled with the you know movement of the wash. And so that's kind of the dynamic that I would, uh, you know, really focus on um, is putting the right quality control measures in place and making sure you're doing a, you know, full on quality control check and inspection before shipment. And really, you know, a lot of times before that uh, balance is paid. So, so though, let's say it's a repeat shipment, your second, third shipment, you would still do the same quality check right before shipment. You know, let's get a couple yeah, samples. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times the QC, you know, you can probably get a QC check nowadays for, you know, anywhere from three to $500, depending on the vendor you use. Um, and that money, you know, 300 bucks, 500 bucks is going to, you know, it's way worth it to guarantee that the products you're getting are what you want. And when you say a QC check, so you're actually paying someone three to $500 to physically just someone that's already there, you're paying them to go to the factory, touch it, take some pictures, write up a detailed report. Is it like, what, what exactly is involved? Yeah. So typically, you know, a lot of vendors that I know are like Asia inspection or trade Aider or um, V trust. And basically you go pay them um, to send one of their team members. They're mostly contractors around, you know, Asia, but you send them out, 
to get an inspection on your products before shipment. They go out, you know, take a bunch of photos, inspect each product. They send back typically, you know, a 20 to 30 page PDF report on your products and you get to understand, you know, okay, I know that the defect rate on the 10% of products that they've checked in production is, you know, 0.5% or whatever the defect rate is. Um, and so then you kind of estimate either what's going to be the overall production defect rate, you know, how's the quality of all the products or, you know, maybe, oh, they forgot to put this on the tag of the shirt. You know, we've got to put this on the tag of the shirt. Otherwise, we can't sell these shirts. So we might as well go back and have the factory do that in China or, you know, wherever the product's being produced rather than having it shipped to, you know, your warehouse here in America, for example, and then having to, you know, hire someone in America to put that tag back on your shirt. Okay. So basically have like an unbiased third party go out there and be your eyes on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any, definitely, definitely. It's a good way. Is there any value of having the factory send samples directly to you locally and physically like looking at them? Or is that something that's like a waste of time? Cause that can take obviously like days and weeks just to even yeah. get that. Yeah. I mean, um, I think before production starts, you always want to be having, um, samples sent over. Um, you know, typically you do like, one sample hopefully the sample's good if not you might have to do two or three typically most companies are probably doing two or three um, sometimes you then do an initial pre-production sample just to make sure everything's good and then you're ready to rock so i would say average ramp up time to get into production is you know about a month just because companies either don't have their specs right um either the sample you know takes time to make takes time to ship um and it adds up to about a month okay yeah i feel like that back and just that back and forth loop and when you start sending them locally, drastically increases that production time and there's waiting. And then there could even be something, like you said, they might need to not just look at one product, but multiple to really see like, what's the defect rate. So maybe this one is perfect, but right. you know, the, ne the next shirt, everything's a little off. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. When you're trying to go and contact a bunch of several factories at once, right? Like, so let's say right now you're producing in China and you kind of decide, all right, let's try, you know, factories in these five different low locations, five different factories, you know, we're gonna have to send a lot of emails and talk to a lot of folks. What's, what is the best process to actually do that, that initial kind of reaching out and, you know, because each one's going to be like a, a different process, a different timeline, and you kind of want to get all your quotes lined up and make a decision, but they're all going to be coming in different times. Right. I mean, I think really, it depends on, um, you know, where the factories are at. I know, you know, for China, let's say you're a small e-commerce buyer just starting out, you know, maybe you go on to Sourceify, you know, you aren't meeting the volumes that we're looking to produce at, but we do have a tool called Factory Confirm, which is like a Google Chrome extension. It enables you to analyze factories in real time on Alibaba. You can go, you know, search factories on Alibaba, use our data at Sourceify and, you know, the listings on Alibaba to see which ones are a valid factory. And then, you know, basically go through and keep a tab, you know, just open up an Excel file of how the ratings are with each factory. And then also, you know, start contacting, see what the response times are, you know, see how, um, you know, their sales reps are working with you. And then, you know, if they sound good, start making samples. I mean, I think a lot of times uh, buyers kind of hold back a lot on producing samples where, you know, if you can't get the right sample from a factory, if you can't even you know, get to that step, you definitely aren't going to get through a production run. Um, and so that's what I'd really, you know, recommend is, is you know, just keep an ongoing tab. And, you know, typically with production, everyone wants the best price, the best lead time, best quality. Um, if you're a small buyer, you know, you aren't going to really get the best price per se, 
but you can still get really good quality and you you know still should be able to get um strong lead times as well okay so if they're difficult to work with in the sales phase they'll they'll be more difficult to work with in the actual final phase at that point so kind of yeah definitely i mean you know factory sales reps are typically you know english is obviously their second language they aren't native english speakers um you want to make your messaging and communication with them as you know simple as possible um, you know, sometimes buyers and, and I definitely recommend if, you know, you can communicate with them over this app called WeChat, which is like a, you know, mobile app in China. Um, that's, you know, extremely popular. They basically, uh, run their lives on it. I mean, everyone in China has this app. It's pretty incredible, but basically one of the tools that you can use on it is, you know, obviously communication and messaging. And so having WeChat and messaging with your factories over WeChat can be a lot faster than the, you know, typical email back and forth. Yeah, and that's WeChat. It's like a version of like a text message. Like they're like same thing. Like you know, a texture on it all day. WeChat. Like if you you can get almost an instant response. Um, yeah. Versus yeah. No, like days. Yep. Exactly. Factories typically do respond a lot faster on WeChat. So what do you? Let's say on the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say I'm a retailer. I currently have something, but I want to ramp up. So I want to go from how many units I am today to 10x. Mm -hmm. What are some things I should start looking out for as if I'm in that sort of situation? Yeah, I mean, I would say right off the bat comes to mind with me is, is managing your cash flow. You know, a lot of companies are having a challenge of balancing by, you know, putting cash in inventory or, um, you know, spending, ca spending money on paid acquisition. And so managing your cash flow with inventory and paid acquisition is quite a bit of a challenge in today's e-commerce world and even retail world. Um, I would say, you know, there's not a you know career like one size fits all formula um, because everyone's paid acquisition is going to be different. But you know typically with most e-commerce companies, it's going to be a balance between either having too much product inventory, which means too much money in inventory, or you know too much money to uh, or not enough money to spend on paid acquisition. And, and um, you know it's it's a fine balance. But I would say you know number one, managing your cash flow is extremely important. Number two having suppliers you can scale with you know you need a supplier that can meet your lead times and if you're really trying to you know 10x in the next year you should also be increasing your margin pretty drastically um and so that's something that, that you know we basically come in and help companies with that sourceify to help them increase their margin as well as you know better manage production as they're scaling up to figure out you know what's actually happening with each production run yeah we it's funny when we talk about cash flow it's one of those things you don't realize at first uh as you get larger you're going to require more cash and it, it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't like level out like all of a sudden it gets better one day it just keeps going more um you need so your margins might get better but you, and your you know cost per lead might get better but you just need more leads and you need you know your margins are better but you see more products so you know each order is just going to get incrementally more as you grow um and you need to find that cash from somewhere and if you're not making super large margins then you need like you said, you need to be very efficient the way you manage that on how much you're putting back in so you can actually grow. Right. Exactly. How do you deal with too, with folks that like the actual planning of the next order? Um, cause a lot of times, you know, you have X amount of product today, but you're going to start selling through that. So at some point, like you need to place that order, obviously not too soon, but yeah, I would say planning, you know, really depends on the data. You know, you want to look at data points, like what's your sell through rate of inventory, um, you know, what's the average lead time that your supplier has on these products? I mean, those are probably the key data points is like sell through of inventory. And then obviously, um, on the other hand, you know, understanding, 
um, what the lead time from your factory is going to be because, you know, we've seen so many companies get into a position on their supply chain where all of a sudden they're running on inventory. They, you know, have to air freight products over to their warehouse from their supplier. And, you know, air freight is, is very expensive. <laughs> not not cheap. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it becomes a pretty expensive situation where, you know, for them, they'd obviously not want to run out of inventory, but at the same time, you know, air freight is, uh, you know, really a lot more expensive than putting your products on a, on a cargo ship and, you know, shipping them across the Pacific. Yeah. I've heard, um, these like horror stories with Amazon sellers where they have a top selling product, but they sell through all their product very quickly. And then their listing, their ranking drops on that listing because it's been out of stock and folks are going to that page, but they can't buy. So they bounce. So they start decreasing and then they get in another, a second shipment like a month later, but now it's too late. They can't sell any. And they just, exactly. You know. So you, managing inventory is really hard, especially as you're growing fast. I mean, and, and I think even in the Amazon world, it's almost, um, you know, a bit harder con to control because, you know, sometimes if you do get that bestseller ranking or if Amazon, you know, puts your product as the Amazon, you know, choice product on certain keywords, all of a sudden your sales volume could go up drastically and, you know, you might not have prepared for that. I don't know, any I, any tips on how to better prepare for that? Because I feel like that's something that's really like you don't know what's happening until it's almost too late at that point. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there yeah. any any ways to deal with that? Because it's almost like it's like you see the tsunami coming, but you can't get out of the way. That's it's gone. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say you know really just keep an eye out on your paid acquisition and and what's going on. I mean, Amazon's a bit different than you know Shopify, big commerce type of seller. Um, I would say with Amazon, you know, as you climb the rankings for certain keywords, you should be able to tell based on certain tool sets what those products that are ranking in those positions are selling. I mean, that's really a you know pretty easy data pool with you know certain tools that are out there right now to analyze uh, analyze data on Amazon. Um, and then on Shopify, you know, most of it kind of is driven through either. Uh, you know, influencers or paid acquisition and, you know, you're responsible, your company's responsible for driving that traffic to your website. You know, when you put up a Shopify store, you know, traffic doesn't just, you know, magically appear. Of course, you've got to actually grow that traffic. And so you should have a stronghold on, you know, what you think is going to happen um, with your store. But even, you know, you look at the kind of famous story of Dollar Shave Club, they didn't realize, you know, they had hoped their video was going to go viral like it did, but they didn't realize it was going to, you know, blow it out of the waters like like it did and they sold out of inventory i mean they were out of inventory for uh, i think four months and you know they were really transparent with their customers said look you know we uh want to take your order but just giving you a heads up that you know we are back ordered. it's going to take us three to four months to get you know all this inventory back in stock and so um i think if you do get to the situation where you're out of inventory um you know be transparent about it let your customers know and say hey you know we are going to keep you updated as these products come back into our warehouse and as we get more stock but we want to let you know you know we are out of inventory and you buying this product today means that you know we might not be able to ship to you for you know two months or whatever it may be yeah it's one of those things i feel like on your own platform it's a little easier the customers have like a relationship with you as a retailer when you're selling in the marketplaces you know a lot of times they don't even know who you are it just uh this looks great bye um exactly yeah would, when you said the other point you said about increasing margins you help with, what are some ways you actually help with that on? Yeah, primarily it's either getting these companies connected to suppliers that 
are at the scale that they're at. So sometimes when a company grows, they stay with the same supplier and that supplier, you know, isn't the right supplier for them at this certain scale. Uh, most of it around revolves around diversifying their supply chain across Asia. So certain countries are better with certain products. Um, and so a lot of it stems from actually you know, transitioning some of their production outside of China. Okay. So you have, you basically have knowledge ahead of time of understanding like, you know, supplier A that you're on now, maybe is good for up to this many units, but you guys are moving outside that range. So let's start. Right. And, and the reason being is, you know, when you're starting an e-commerce company, you're probably producing close to the, you know, minimum order quantity runs, you know, and so no big supplier is going to go work with a company that's only, you know, producing MOQ runs at a smaller factory. But as you scale up and grow, as you get to the, you know, $10 million and plus mark, you are going to want to work with more medium and, and larger size factories to handle your scale, to have, you know, faster lead times and be able to, you know, produce products uh, more effectively. What are some actual dollar or unit values on those, like, you know, a small factory versus a medium? Like, what are we actually talking in? I don't know. If yeah, we, I mean, typically the number, the measure that you look at is like monthly output, um, okay. you know, so factory in that, total. Yeah, the factory monthly output. So, you know, I would say, I mean, that I mean, that primarily revolves around labor, you know, so a factory that has under, you know, 200 people or so is, is considered probably a small factory. Medium is anywhere from, you know, 200 plus to about, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 and then 1,500 is getting, you know, bigger and then, you know, 10,000 plus you're talking, you know, really large, like, you know, Foxconn level is, is a big, big factory, of course. Um, but even in Vietnam, you know, I was over in Vietnam two weeks ago and was at a, a shoe factory that has 10,000 employees and the, you know, volume was just incredible. I mean, they're producing for, uh, you know, fortune 100 shoe brands and it was amazing to see. Um, but at the same time, you know, I wouldn't recommend any e-commerce company really try to go out and, uh, fit their production in with this factory because the scale that this factory's at at you know, over 10,000 employees is, uh, on another level. Yeah, that's like a, it's more of a small city than a factory at that point. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It was. I mean, yeah. it was a small city. It was incredible. Um, but even then, like, you know, I was at another factory that was producing flip flops. Their output was about 10,000 to 15,000 flip flops a day. And, you know, they probably had 150 or so workers. I mean, they had a really good process and it was really well organized. The management was strong. Um, and that, I would say, would be a great factory for an e commerce brand or, you know, any kind of, you know, flip-flop, uh, you know, sandal type of brand that's looking to, to grow pretty fast and scale up. How do you know, though, as a, as a retailer, how do you know your size is correct for their size? Like, so you know they're a mid-sized factory. They have, let's say, a thousand, employee, a thousand employees. How do you know, though, that's where you should be? Well, I mean, number one, most factories are probably going to lie to you and say, oh, yeah, we can handle, you know, any production volume you want. Um, so really to actually know you've got to go there and see with your own eyes or, you know, get someone on the ground floor there. Um, I mean, I think the key probably depends on, you know, what their production output is and how many units you're going to produce per, uh, per, you know, quarter per month. So if you know the factory can produce, let's say, uh, you know, keep it simple, 25,000 units a month, then, you know, each quarter they're producing 75,000 units a month. And let's say you're purchasing 30,000 units a month, you know, you probably like, I wouldn't say that you or even the factory, like they probably wouldn't want you to take up all of their capacity anyway, because then from a business standpoint, you know, their sales comes from just one organization, which is, you know, pretty risky for them. Um, and so I'd say typically, you know, factories, like once you get to over 50% capacity, you've gotten to a point where you've probably, 
you know, on the cusp of, uh, you know, outgrowing that factory. And that's not to say that you can, you know, just completely stop working with that factory, but maybe also start to explore, you know, other factories that you can, um, you know, continue to run production with. Okay. So it's, so try to get an understanding of how much they're producing a month. And if you start getting in the 40, 50% range of that number, then it's probably danger zone for them, but also for you too, where, you know, yeah, I mean, pump the brakes. because what are they going to do with their other customers as well? If yeah. you say, Hey, I need to place a, you know, hundred thousand unit order and the factory can't, uh, handle the hundred thousand unit order cause they have other clients they have to cater to. Yep. Okay. And then how would you understand, let's say on the other end of the spectrum, you're, you're too small, like do, can you approach a mid-sized factory or would that just be something they would just reject you at the door? Like um, what would happen there? Yeah, you can, but I think sometimes it's not worth your time necessarily just because they won't give you as much attention as you want. Whereas like, you know, if you get a small factory and you convince a smaller factory to really believe in your brand and what you're doing, then, you know, you can scale up with that factory and that's going to become a great relationship. Um, you know, that's, I think, a key dynamic right there. Whereas, you know, with a bigger factory, like unless you're really increasing your order volume each PO, you know, chances are they aren't going to give you as much attention as you want. Okay. So you don't want to be the smallest customer basically on, you know, they're going to get to you last. And if they have to push them on off, it's going to be you. Like you don't want to be, you want to be not the smallest. Try very right. Hard. That's what I would say. Gotcha. Okay. All right. This has been super helpful. Um, any other, yeah, thanks for coming on. This is definitely, um, this is one of these processes very, um, opaque to most people on you just kind of, you know, people think you at Alibaba and that's kind of where it stops, but I, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I would add, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, I guess, is I would say that, you know, so many companies focus on how to improve their paid acquisition, you know, how to increase their uh, paid acquisition margins and, and increase their, you know, return on ad spend. Very few organizations really focus on improving their production margins. And it's actually much more uh, sustainable and, and, you know, almost easier to improve your production margins compared to improving your, you know, return on ad spend. And I feel like that's one of those things that's let more, um, more defensible. Like when the market changes, just like, you know, you have things that happen with Facebook where the costs are still are going up every day now and people are getting like wiped out from there. But I feel like once you get your production costs down, that's a little more something that is solid and is going to be years versus mm -hmm. Facebook could change tomorrow. And you know, you have to find yep. another paid channel. Yeah. It's more in your control for sure. And, um, you know, I guess it's not as, you know, sexy as uh, marketing and paid acquisition, but, you know, it is fun uh, going to Asia and seeing factories. So, yeah, it's that is very cool. So, you guys have two offices over there. Where are your offices? Uh, one's in Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, and the other's in Guangzhou, China. Very cool. And uh, you, you go over there yourself every once in a while? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, last year I made eight trips over the Pacific to, uh, China and Vietnam, which was probably a little too much. Uh, this year I'll probably try to cut it back to like four or five. Um, you know, we've been growing our team pretty, pretty significantly there and it's been pretty exciting for us. And so, you know, from a managerial standpoint, just going over there and making sure everything's going smoothly and, um, continuing to scale up to help, uh, source customers. Awesome. Nathan, it's great chatting with you. If people want to find you, I'll put links in the show notes. Where are some good places? Yeah. I mean, they can just go to sourceify.com. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. If they just, you know, type in Nathan Resnick on LinkedIn, um, and on Twitter as well. I'm just, uh, Nathan Resnick. Cool. All right. It was great having you on. Good chatting. Awesome. Thank you.